0: Africa, home to the most unique people in the world. A place that connects us through our customs, traditions, and even belief itself. Join Mukundi Mudao in Tribal Pursuit, a series that ventures deep into Africa to discover the beautiful people that identify as Jewish. Join the conversation every Wednesday at 10 a.m. right here on 101.9 High fm
1: 101.9, Hi FM, this is Travel Pursuit and I'm your dear friend Mukundi Mudow. Top of the morning. Time is six minutes past ten. It's Wednesday, the twenty-third of August 2023. And yeah, you probably you can probably hear it. So I'm just gonna address the elephant in the room i'm sick i have flu a bit of flu okay and craig is telling me that he's gonna stay as far away craig you're good by the way yeah he's good give me a thumbs up not a man of many words craig is pressing all the buttons in studio so that your friend mukundi can just sit look pretty and talk to you okay so i'm sick i've addressed the elephant in the room i've been like this for a while that's why you didn't hear me last week i thought i'd be better i'd be better today but you know it's time it's time to do what must be done so bear with me but i don't think it's that bad am i that bad no i think i'm oh, la, 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 la. actually you know what my voice is not the worst today so baruch hashem for that okay 101.9 hi fm this is Trouble pursuit and you're you're about to have fun for the next hour because you're with your friend Mukundi Mundao, and we're gonna go to africa i'm gonna tell you all the different stories happening i'm gonna play some beautiful music and you know i keep it local here so it's either african south african or anything of sorts you know so you're gonna enjoy you're gonna have fun and do let me know if you are having fun you can get in touch with me three four five one nine is how you sms me 0618951019 is i telegram me. you can even call the studio 101403020 oh one forty thirty twenty let's have a good time and let's have fun okay so today's show is a is not a repeat but we got a repeat guest, yes, we got Simha Yokobovici, he's back, and I told him, hey man, last time we talked, we went off on a bit of a tangent, and I didn't get to ask you all the questions I wanted to ask you, and... I have questions, it's not my fault that you started talking and we had such a great conversation that I didn't get to ask the rest of my questions. I still want to ask questions because they must be answered. <laughs> and he said, not a problem, my man, I will give you all the time you need. And that's exactly what we did and that is why it is a two-parter. But that's later in the second half of the show, of course, you can tune in for that, that's going to be around... uh 25, 25 past 10, 10.30, somewhere there. Yeah, so it's going to be fun. Dude, stay tuned. If you have any other questions that you want to ask, do feel free to ask them. We still have plenty of time. Once again, the numbers are 34519 for the SMS line. 0618951019 is telegram, and you can call 101 40 30 20. Okay, music while I gather myself. By the way, what, what are you having today? I got my coffee in studio because it's getting warm. Summer or spring is definitely around the corner. If it hasn't arrived already. You know, it's getting warm and we're gonna have to put away the hot beverages. But until then, I'm having fun with mine. I'm having coffee in my Batman mug. What are you drinking? What are you having? Let me know. Are you just, you know, quite fine with
0: your friend Mugundi just talking to you? This is Tribal Pursuit with Mukundi Mudao. Venturing deep into Africa to discover the who, how and why of the beautiful people that identify as Jewish.
1: 101.9 101.9 Hi FM, this is Trouble Pursuit, and I'm your dear friend Mukundi Mudau, top of the morning. 10.15 is the time, and it's still Wednesday, the 23rd of August, in case you were wondering. And I'm really bummed out. I just want to start it with that. I want to be selfish real quick. Last year when I did this, it was Wednesday, the 24th of August, and I was so happy. Why? Because it was 8.24, and it was Kobe Day, and as a basketball fan, I love any reason to bring up Kobe Bryant in a conversation. As you can hear. <laughs> so this year it's 823. I'm not angry at 823. It's Kobe Bryant's birthday. So, you know, rest in peace to the late great Kobe Bryant. One of my favorite basketball players of all time and one of the greatest basketball players of all time. And yeah, we talk basketball here. Wherever there's Mukundi, there's basketball talk. So I just had to get that out the way that today is 8.23 and I'm really bummed out because last year was 8.24, but I will wait. You know, I'll wait for the next 8.24. Okay. (laughs) Now that I got the most important thing out of the way. And once again, my voice, I'm sick. So do bear with me. Okay. I'm sick. I've been sick for a while. That's why I wasn't here last week. I thought I'd take the time fight this flu get ready and then come back and be the friend that you used to but this flu had other plans for me man (laughs) this flu had other plans for your boy it said nope i want i want people to hear you just the way you are and i decided you know because i care about you the things i do for you man i'm here in studio fighting the man flu and (laughs) oh man i'm having so much fun with it and you know, my lungs, my lungs and my nose are probably not going to like me by the end of the day, but I do it all for you. Okay. Let me tell you what's happening in Africa, starting with our neighbors, Zimbabwe. Did you know that the Zimbabwe elections are happening right now? As we speak, right now in this, in this present moment, uh, Zimbabweans are at the polls and they are voting. Well, they want to, I, I would, I would assume that a lot of them are voting against President Emerson Mnangangwa, Mnangawa you know i've been practicing that (laughs) so what do you need to know about zimbabwe i'm going to tell you five things that you need to know about zimbabwe and some of them you you do know if you didn't then i guess your friend mukundi will have taught you something new this is i think only the six these are only the second elections since 2017 in Zimbabwe, the first obviously was after the coup and Robert Mugabe was removed after being in power for 37 years. 37 years. I'm not even 30 years old. You know, I'm not even 30 years old and I can only, and I'm already tired of, of having the same people in power for so many years. So I don't know how Zimbabwe managed to do it with Mugabe being in power for 37 years, but he did it and the, the, the country's not necessarily a much better place now. He obviously did good for himself and he tried to help the people of Zimbabwe as he can. But unfortunately with power comes corruption and Mugabe, Mugabe just went down and you know took the country further downhill and because of that we saw an economic slump and it's just it's something that the country is recovering from till this day and i'm pretty sure that the next president even president sangangwa will tell you that is not a problem that is not going anywhere anytime soon and with that we had professionals leaving the country as well you know And it's not just something that's happening in Zimbabwe, I should tell you. It's something that's happening all across Africa, something that's happening in South Africa as well. We have a lot of young professionals leaving the country. You know, we got people that are qualified and they can do jobs, but because the economy is just all the way down there and the leaders have made it impossible to actually practice whatever it is that you studied a lot of people are leaving going to europe america whatever it is unfortunately what they're failing well not failing to see but what i've noticed and what i've seen is that it's not as easy to make it out there as we think it is you know a lot sure a lot of people excuse me once again i'm sick i told you so every couple of every couple of minutes you're gonna hear that do bear with me but what i've come to realize is that a lot of people think it's easy to just leave the country and then you're a success story. No, 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 my friend. It's, <laughs> it's a lot harder than that. First of all, moving to a whole new country means you gotta get used to the environment means do you even have a job there? Do you even know what happens there? And then fitting into the market, being integrated into the market, into the society, into the economy. It is not easy. It is not easy. I know people that leave South Africa with the hope of making it big in other countries, and they get there and their life their lives are actually worse. You know you leave your nice house in South Africa, you move to another country, you live in an apartment no bigger than this studio, and if you could see the studio that we 're living that i 'm recording in right now it 's about um, i don 't know man, yo my math teachers would be so disappointed right now because my spatial calculation is bad, but this is I'd say no bigger than, I don't know man, 40 square meters I don't know, Craig, do you know math? Nope, okay He's he's just as good as me You see, sound engineers, all we do is press buttons man Don't ask us about anything else Okay, so, yeah a lot of people think it's easier to make it, to make it out the country and we know it's not. It's really difficult. And that actually ties into my next point and my next conversation because I want to get angry. I want to get angry. I'm angry at Mantashe. Did you hear what he said? I was listening to the news this morning and I heard Lindy say it. I said, no way, no way he said it. But he actually did. He actually did. Mantashe angered me this morning and I've never said that I don't think I've ever come on air and I said that anyone has angered me or a politi- or a politician has angered me but this really grinded me the wrong way this guy says South Africans need to get themselves out of poverty and they need to stop expecting the government to do much for them what hello who else do who else who else are we supposed to ask right aren't you aren't you the government <laughs> for us bias even though that's up for debate <laughs> aren't you supposed to be helping us aren't you supposed to be helping the community the people the country you're supposed to be opening up the market but because already you guys you guys being the guys in power you know greater and all his friends up up in the Tule house and everywhere else you literally ruined the country and there's nothing for us to do as the public and the next thing you say is no South Africans need to get themselves out of poverty and ex- and stop expecting government to do it for them. Who else are we supposed to expect to do it for us? You guys are supposed to do this. You guys were supposed to the government was supposed to bring us into the the, the brighter days, you know? The promised land. And granted, I know that it's cut it's wishful thinking to expect that because given our history South Africa and the our poverty problem is not being eradicated anytime soon. We have a long way to go. Oh, whoa, <laughs> we have a long way to go. That I will tell you. But for Greater Mantashi to come out and say South Africans need to get themselves out of debt and out of poverty, no. No, you've ruined the economy, you've ruined our electricity grid, you've ruined every industry and closed it off to any to everybody that wants to join in. So now we can't even do anything and we have to fend for ourselves as people. And you go and rub it in our faces. Man, I did not like that. I did not like that I've always known I didn't like Guido Mantashi, But now I really don't like him <laughs> And I don't know how to feel I don't know how to, how to the rest of the country feels about that But there's something about that Well that whole statement just rubbed me off the wrong way And I didn't like it Because it was very narcissistic It was very condescending as well Because he's he expects us to ignore What the government has done Or rather failed to do for us As the people of South Africa And he just wants us to fend for ourselves that's literally what he said fend for yourselves and we will be good am i making sense am i just going off on a tangent am i just blabbering away tell me three four five one nine is the sms line oh six one eight nine five one one nine is the telegram line you can even call me 0101403020. also let's have fun with my flu voice tell me do you like my flu voice or do you like my regular voice either way i'm not angry at your answers You know, but I want to know if I should stick, if I should stay sick year round, and maybe that'll help me get a lot more friends on station. (laughs) Ten twenty four is the time. One hundred one point nine High FM is is the station. Ten twenty four is the time. One hundred one point nine High FM. This is Travel Pursuit, and I'm your dear
0: friend Mukundi Muda. This is Tribal Pursuit with Mukundi Mudao. Venturing deep into Africa to discover the who, how, and why of the beautiful people that identify as Jewish.
1: 101.9, Chaya FM, this is Tribal Pursuit, and I'm your dear friend Mukundi Mudau. Top of the morning. We have a friend of the show again. Well, he's back, Mr. Simcha Yakubovichi. Simcha, how are you doing today?
2: Good, good. How are you?
1: Still a bit sick, but I think I think we'll make it work. I think we'll make it
2: work. (laughs) We're going to beat that flu.
1: We're going to beat that flu. I don't know why I decided to do this when the colder season is coming to an end, but I've come to realize that's just how my body works. (laughs) When everybody everybody gets better, that's when I get sick. So,
0: yeah.
2: At least you don't follow the crowd.
1: (laughs) Never, never. Conformity is not a thing here. (laughs) So, I just wanted to ask you about all your work and your experience working with the Jewish community and different Jewish communities in the world. Because the last time we talked, we actually just went off on a, bit on, a, on a bit of a tangent and we just couldn't get to everything that we wanted to cover. So I wanted to cover your work first. And I wanted to ask you, is there, last time I asked you if you watched, if you actually watched any of your stuff and if there's any, any documentaries that you think are the best, but do you have a favorite out of all your f- films that you made?
2: You know, I'm a filmmaker, a documentary filmmaker. I'm about to do my first, um, hopefully, uh, scripted film. So I, I really don't, you know, like, th- different films have different, they're like kids, you know, they're different. You don't know? say, so I, I, you know, like like The Exodus Decoded, which people can see on YouTube is about biblical archaeology. It's proving that the biblical exodus happened. It's not a myth. It's not a story. It's a historical fact. People can get into debates about whether God made it happen. Was it a miracle? But they really, as far as I'm concerned, shouldn't question that it actually happened because it happened. Now, to me, that's very meaningful, that film, because, you know, I'm an Orthodox Jew. It means a lot to me that I can find, touch, the actual proof of the biblical exodus in Egypt, you know, touch things, you know, be where it happened. So that's one thing. On well, the other thing, I, I, it, I just made a series with Samuel L. Jackson about the transatlantic slave trade. And we do—we told the story through adventures of, of diving and finding sunken slave ships. Now, it was that... Not meaningful to me. Do I feel this is a that one is a nine and this one's an eight? No, I, you know, we we dove more sunken slave ships than anyone in history, and uh, we told the story of the trafficking of twelve and a half million people and the death of one and a half million people. So is that less meaningful to me? No, it's very meaningful. On the other hand, I'm a child of Holocaust survivors, so when I made a film called uh, Charging the Rhino, where I went back to where my parents are from. Uh, in um yash Romania yasi Romania and i put the first holocaust memorial and the place where my family had been gunned down you know is that my favorite so to speak no but it's very meaningful to me so each one each film that i've made i've been very fortunate that I, I've, I i got to make films and i continue to be blessed and make films that i care about and that means something i don't just do films that Oh, I gotta do this because I gotta earn money and I don't really, really like it. Mm. So I'm very blessed that way that I've made these films. I made a film about the lost tomb of Jesus. And you know, that made front page news around the world. And people say, yeah, but you're a Jew and and, and that's Christianity. I go, yeah, but it's part of my history, isn't it? Uh, the, the, the gospels called Jesus Rabbi. So he never left Israel. So it's part of my history and, and, and being able to shed light on part of my history through archaeology and filmmaking was very important to me. So in answer to your questions, you know, I just, I've been very fortunate to, to really connect with each one of my films in a different way. So I can't say that one I like more than the other one. Like when I went searching for the lost tribes of Israel, you know, 2,700 years ago, 10 of the 12 tribes of Israel uh, were taken into exile and they're considered, quote-unquote, lost by Western civilization. Well, they're not lost. They're somewhere. They're just not, they're not in Europe. So we. So people say they're lost, you know. The Bible tells us, you know, uh, exactly where they went. They went in the area that today is uh, Afghanistan, uh, Iran, Afghanistan. You go where the Bible tells you to go, and you find 16 million people, Pathans, that call themselves Bani Israel, the children of Israel. I mean, did they make up their history? No. So being there amongst them was an amazing experience. I was there, you know, before 9/11 when Bin Laden was running around that place. I didn't mean him, but fortunately, but so it was pretty uh, intense filmmaking, and we, I think, walked away with the goods. So that's called that film is called Quest for the Lost Tribes, and it's also available on YouTube. So you know, I've just been very fortunate that. Each film has kind of represented a, a different quest, a different challenge, and, and I connect with each one a little differently.
1: Is there a film that you think has over over the years has sort of taken up a life of its own?
2: Well, several have. For example, the very first film I made. You know, I tell people, people, th- I wasn't a filmmaker looking for a story. I was a Jew with a story, looking to tell it, and I was, you know, I was active. I was act, an activist, so to speak, on behalf of the Black Jews of Ethiopia, then known as Falasha exiles, and that was my first film. I wasn't—I I was just looking. I had uh, written three articles in the New York Times uh, advocating that they be saved, they be helped, they be brought to Israel. They fell between the chairs. There were Jews among Blacks and Blacks among Jews, and 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 they were dying as a community even though they had kept steadfast to their Judaism for thousands of years. They had had a Jewish kingdom in Ethiopia, in Africa, a Jewish kingdom. Wow. Hmm. And people said to me, people said to me, oh, but that's not your history. That's my history. I'm Jewish. I was very proud of them. That's not, you know, it's not like just my parents are from Romania. So are there, is the only Jewish history my history? Romanian Jewish history? No, it's, you know, you know, I, I connected with them. And here they were after their proud uh, uh, thousands of years of of, of, of being loyal to, to to the Torah, to the Judaism. And they were being, in our days, in the post-Holocaust era, when we were saying never again, they were being allowed to to be imprisoned, raped, killed. So I made a film, my very first film. I tried to get other people to make a film, but they didn't. So I literally went to the library and I got a book called How to Make a Documentary Film. (laughs) That was before the internet. I sat in the library, and I made a proposal according to the book, and I raised money. And people said, why should I give you any money? You don't know how to make a film. I said, I'm putting my life on the line. I'm going to – at that time, there was a Marxist military regime in Ethiopia, Mm -hmm. and there was civil war. I said, you know, I'm asking for a few thousand dollars, and worried, you're not worried I'm going to die. You're worried you're going to lose a couple of thousand dollars. So people Mm -hmm. gave me the money, and I ended up making a film. Called Falasha exile of the Black Jews, that became part of the advocacy. And the Economist, the British um, magazine, called it one of the factors that led to the Israeli airlift uh, of Ethiopian Jews from first from Ethiopia, then from Sudan to Israel in the, in the mid-1980s. And uh, so, wow, you know, like i would so to this day when you ask me you know, if a film can make a difference and save one life, then what I have no words for that and I feel very blessed that was part of that. So um recently in Israel, you know, at the time I made the film there were less than four hundred Ethiopian Jews in Israel. Today there's about hundred and twenty thousand and uh and they had a an event in Tel Aviv with the Cinema Tech where they kind of honored some of the first Advocates and lobbyists on behalf of the airlift of Ethiopian Jews. And I was, you know, uh, I was, I was so uh, honored to be honored by them. And I remember, you know, I looked out into the audience and all these young people, there were more people in the audience uh, than there had been Ethiopian Jews in Israel at the time that I made the film. And, uh, you know, I, I guess I get goosebumps right now talking about it because it really, shows you that you know uh media and film can be can be forces for making a difference a difference for good
1: Mm. i was gonna ask about that how intensive was it or how hard was it for you to advocate for the ethiopian jews to actually be moved to israel because i'll give an example with the other jewish communities in the world right now that are for lack of a better term, struggling to be to be integrated into Israeli society like the, like the uh, Beth Yoshirun and the Lemba community. It seemed very easy, or from my perspective, it seemed a lot easier to accept the Ethiopian Jews and to get them integrated into Israeli society. Was it as easy as it looks, or was, was it more of a challenge?
2: No, it, it wasn't easy. It wasn't easy. And uh, look, you know, the Jewish people started off as 12 tribes. Hmm. So from, from the beginning, Jews weren't even called Jews. They were called the children of Israel. Jews were one, one of the 12 tribes, the tribe of Judah. And uh, and uh, the, the forefather of, of the Israelites was Jacob. Jacob had the kind of uh, birth name, which is Jacob, Yaakov in Hebrew. And then the, the Torah, the, the five books of Moses, the book of Genesis tells us, uh, that his name was changed to Israel. So he had this kind of, uh, father of a movement, monotheism at name. So you, 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 if you said you're a son of Jacob, you were by blood. If you said you're a son of Israel, which is what the Israelites said, then you were by ideology, by religion, by faith. Hmm. So from the beginning, we were diverse. There was one father, but there were, there were, uh, various mothers, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so, um, from the beginning, you know, there are two, two wives and two, um, handmaidens. So there are four mothers. And so by definition, all these tribes were diverse. Now what happened is through persecution, wars, uh, we got I mean, tragically whittled down. Uh, to one recognizable tribe, the tribe of Judah, the Jews, and then in the 2,000 years ago, the Romans dispersed us all over the world. So we, we, the Jewish people did something that no other people have ever done, which is survive uh, a double egg, triple exile: so the, the Babylonian exile and the Roman exile, and I think even the the Assyrian, uh, you know, the Egyptian exile. I mean, this idea of keeping. Coming back to the promised land after you've been crushed uh, and and murdered and crucified and dispersed, it's, it's a unique thing. So, understandably, I'm going to be now understandable. Mm-hmm. If you're surviving, you know, hundreds of, of years in some place in Russia as a Jew, you tend to think that that's the only kind of Judaism that there is, the only kind of Jewishness right you're sitting there there's no internet you know you you're in a ghetto you can't even travel there's no tv you you end up thinking that what you eat what you how you pray that's exactly Judaism and anything other is not mm-hmm. now we also have jewish law now and and definitions so what's happening here in israel where i live is really a miracle you have in the last Few decades, right? 75 years. The exile's over. Jews are coming from all over the world, and you know what? It ain't easy. They have to get used to each other. Some suddenly a Polish Jew has to meet a Romanian Jew. They're both Eastern European, and they they don't get along. You don't talk my language. You don't you don't uh, you don't pray exactly the way I do, and I hate your food on top of it all. Right, so so you know, you add to that mix Spanish Jews, Arab Jews, Jews from Arab lands, uh African Jews, you add, and it's a miracle, literally it's a miracle that they get along at all. Remember, the United States had to fight a civil war to you know be you know with hundreds of thousands of dead before they actually could work things out, so on the one hand, i got to give credit to Israel and the Jewish people. On the other hand, it wasn't easy because of all these kinds of uh, stereotypes. Mm. When the, the movement for Ethiopian Jews started, there were some lone, lone voices, the late Grenenberger, the wonderful really? leader, Nate Shapiro, there were literally lone, lone voices in the wilderness saying, Hey, and people are saying, are you crazy? African Jews makes no sense, right? Like people, it was a huge struggle. It was a struggle where people had to demonstrate, people had to lobby, people had to make posters, people had to threaten funding. You know, it was when I made my film, which was part of the advocacy movement, and I was shooting it in 1981, 82. And I arrived in Israel after having shot surreptitiously in Ethiopia and shot surreptitiously in Sudan and arrived in Israel the The Israeli Secret Service Mossad was waiting for me at the airport, and they confiscated my footage, which was on sixty millimeter film Whoa. and they dragged me to the Prime Minister's office where I was debriefed by the Mossad and they were gonna they were gonna keep my film and uh I told them you know that idea <laughs> that idea this is my first film. As a filmmaker, I'll thank you if you if you confiscate my film because you'll make me an international celebrity. I was about to say, oh,
1: I think that they're just going to just up your brand a whole lot more.
2: Yeah, I told them that, but it, you know, I'm telling you now uh you know, I'm giving you some advice that I shouldn't be it's a bad idea. Give me my film back and then you want to argue with me, I say you're not doing enough, you say you're doing too much, we'll have an argument, but but don't ruin my film, don't expose it to light, because mm. I'll, I'll screen my film black, totally black and overexposed, and, and I'll get standing ovations at film festivals. So they gave me back my film, and I made my first film. So it wasn't easy in answer to your question. There were people lobbying. There was the late, great, we called each other brother, Baruch was an Ethiopian Jew who had grown up in Israel, gone back, walked across the Sahara And he undertook, when Israel said that it's impossible to smuggle any Ethiopian Jews to safety, you know, with money raised in in Canada and the United States, he went on a long journey. Baruch Tegegni, T-E-G-E-G-N-E, a hero. And he smuggled people. He took out Ethiopian Jews before the Mossad ever did. You don't see that story on Netflix. You just see the white savior, savior trope. But this this uh, Ethiopian Jew, this proud Jew, proud Israeli, he did it on his own. He he smuggled people out, planted them hmm. in Switzerland, I believe, in Europe, on the at the Israeli embassy, and said, "If I can do it, Mossad can do it." And, and that, it was that was the trip. Before
1: became a full-scale operation.
2: Absolutely, it, it was before. So what I'm saying, the lobbying took various efforts, everything from uh, bringing the medical stuff. When, when people said Henry Gold and Mark Deutsch, when Susan, Susan Pollock, people who did things, they didn't talk, they did things. And by doing things, they shamed Israel into doing the right thing. And finally, Israel did do the right thing, so they deserved the high five, but it wasn't easy. Hmm.
1: And when you got to Ethiopia, I mean, I was talking to Batya Schmili and she was telling me that there were some of the older statesmen that just didn't want to move and understandably so because these people are coming into our homes and telling us, or rather asking us to move elsewhere, even if it's for our own safety, I'm willing to bet some of the older generations didn't necessarily like having to leave their homes. How did you have to deal with that? Because I heard that some of them actually chose to stay behind.
2: Yes and no. Uh, I I remember I didn't, I wasn't involved in the operation. I I made a film that's showing their plight Mm. and their history And, and, and I shot in Ethiopia. I shot in the Samaean mountains in Gondar. I've shot now in Tigray. I I went to the refugee camps in Sudan. I show, I I documented their history and their plight. I didn't, I wasn't part of the rescue, the actual rescue. So that's number one. So I wasn't sitting there trying to convince anybody to go anywhere. Having said that, they've been praying to go to Zion. You know, Zionism is the modern political movement to, you know, to to reestablish the ancient state of the Jews, Israel. They've been praying to go to Zion for thousands of years. No one had to convince them to go to Zion. They wanted to. It was a dream. True. Now, sure, it was very hard, especially for the casing, for their elder statesmen, for their priests, so to speak. Because when you, they got to Israel, they had always been in Ethiopia, the wise ones. Right? They get to Israel and they're like fish out of water a little bit. They, they're not used to the technology. They don't know the language. They don't know the ways of the Israelis. And suddenly the young people did know the catch very fast. Young people, you know, after a few years were fluent and so on. So suddenly it it was traumatic for the elders because the young were, were kind of more in the know than, than the elders and it made them, the elders feel useless sometimes having said that that was the case with all the emigrations you know it's when i was a kid they said israel is the only place in the world where the kids teach the mothers the mother tongue Mm -hmm. because you know (laughs) my parents were from romania they didn't speak hebrew Mm -hmm. and i spoke hebrew you know because i was born in israel and, and and you know went to school so so it was traumatic for every movement not just the ethiopian the ethiopians of course had Other issues, not the least of which being black and not fitting the stereotype of a European Jew. But I don't think they needed convincing. I think, yes, it was traumatic, but they they wanted to go. Also remember, you know, they were called falasha, outsider. That's not a good term, outsider in in Ethiopia. They were never considered indigenous, even though you and I, they looked, no different than the neighbor and, and, and a village, you know, a hundred meters away. They were called, uh, Buddha, you know, the people with the evil eye that they, they were artisans and that was considered the devil's work. So they suffered all along and, uh, there had been huge battles between the Jewish kingdom and, 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 and uh, in the middle ages and the, the, the Christian forces backed by Portuguese guns they had a queen, Yudit Judith that is legendary to this day in Ethiopia, she kicked part of everybody else and finally committed suicide rather than be taken alive mm-hmm. and she's considered so badass that to this day an Ethiopian uh, could curse another Ethiopian by by calling her Judith Udit like you know, you're like Badass, you that bad, evil eye, you do so. So again, it, it wasn't like they they felt this is where we want to stay. Hmm. Like Jews, other places, some want to stay and they stay, and others say, let's go back to the um the, the the biblical homeland and rebuild it. Wow.
1: Okay. Okay, makes sense. Makes sense. I never thought of it like that. I because I was always told that some of them just didn't want to leave and always wanted to stay behind. But that makes a lot more sense. I have one more question. Actually we're running out of time. We probably are out of time. But you mentioned that you went back to Romania to your to your parents' birthplace and you did a documentary about it. How was it experiencing Romania, if you were born in Israel, but how was it being in Romania knowing that your family was literally massacred there and tort well, I don't know if they were tortured, but you know, it was not a good time for your family to be there. Now you're back there, as a curious mind.
2: It was very, tra- and I don't know, traumatic is the right word. But you know, I'm born in Israel. I grew up in Canada. I, my office is still in Canada. I, I live in Israel. Uh, I hadn't really known Romania. I had been there once. I speak the language because my parents spoke to me. But uh, I grew up. You know, my parents both survived but uh, my mother was in a slave labor camp. Uh So, you know, somebody asked me how I can make a film about the African slave trade. And I said, well, my mother and grandmother were both slaves, had to be bought out for freedom. They were in a Nazi slave labor camp. Anyway, my father was left for dead in the massacre in Yash, Romania. And then he was sewn up in somebody's kitchen and, and then, you know, sort of fled to the Soviet Union. But all his... You know, uncles, aunts, everybody. I grew up, I didn't know what what it was like to meet a cousin. I later met a cousin on my mother's side that survived in the Soviet Union. I didn't know what it was to be have an aunt, an uncle. It was just me, my sister, and my parents. So when I went back there, and things hadn't changed because communism was not good for Romania. Like you literally, the bullet holes in the courtyard of the police station where the Jews were gunned down, the bullet holes were still in the wall. They're still on the wall. I did a map shot uh, in, in my documentary. So it was like, I don't know what to say. Like, it was weird because on the one hand, I felt I belong here. Mm. Generations of my people are in the cemetery. My grandparents are in the cemetery. Mm. I belong here. These people that are living here today, I've got much deeper roots than them. On the other hand, I don't want to be here. I I I want to leave this place this place is is full of blood there's nothing and, good for you there. and and I have to say when I came back with my film and I showed it to young Romanian's not Jewish high school kids and they came up and they said and they hugged me I I felt hope I felt well there's a new generation here uh you know they're not like their grandparents uh they're different. They're, you know, they're, they're they're growing up in a democracy. They're different values, and it was really, really moving to show the film in Romania, and to be embraced by these young non-Jewish Romanians.
0: Wow,
1: beautiful, beautiful. Unfortunately, that's all the time we have for it. We never have enough time. I think you and I just need to sit and record for three straight hours
2: because (laughs) now you, you. I I love being, I love being interviewed by you. So whenever you want, I'm ready. (laughs)
1: I'll remember, I will remember that. Just don't forget when I abused that privilege. You gave it to me. (laughs)
0: <laughs> this is Tribal Pursuit with Mukundi Mudao. Venturing deep into Africa to discover the who, how and why of the beautiful people that identify as Jewish. 101.9 high
1: FM, this is Tribal Pursuit and I'm your dear friend, your very sick friend Mukundi Mudao. 10.56 is the time. And it is still Wednesday, the 23rd of August, 2023. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Simchaia Kubovici. Craig is telling me that I need to get out of studio, so I'll make this quick. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Simchaia Kubovici. That was a lot of fun. If you did, do let me know. You still have me for another three and a half minutes. That's 34519 is the telegram line. Wait, that's the SMS line. 0618951019 is the telegram line, and you can call the studio 0101403020. 858 is the time, and I swear, Craig, I'm sorry, I'm getting out of studio. Just this now i hope you enjoyed your wednesday i hope you had a wonderful hour and we will do this again in seven short days let's do this and i will find you right here on one one point nine well you will find me rather right, right here on one one point nine high fm and let's hope i'll be better my voice will be back to what it normally is unless you like this then let me know i'll drink a lot of cold water and i'll stay sick just for you my friend the things i do for you let's do this again in seven short days from craig in studio pressing all the buttons and your friend mukundi modawa as always until next time enjoy the rest of your day